Grab a seat. Well, good morning. We're going to take a day and we're going to look at marriage. We're going to highlight marriage and the oneness of marriage. And we're going to end our service. We're going to hear some testimonies through the service, but we're also going to end by, by really putting out before you kind of what we have in offering some of the ministries we have to help build strong marriages because we have to have strong marriages if we want to see people find and follow Jesus through this congregation. And as pastors who, who see a lot of brokenness and a lot of broken marriages, we know how important it is to have this message today. Oneness is the essence of God's nature, and it is the great goal of marriage. And that's what I want to spend time looking at today. But as we begin, I want to start off by introducing Joe and Michelle Fix as they come up today. As a couple who has been challenged by God's truth in their own lives and has responded to it. Hi, my name is Joe Fix, and this is my wife, Michelle. And he may not remember it, but Jeff Payne sitting in the third row over there. He married us 24 years ago this August. We attended Reengage last fall uh, when our marriage was basically falling apart. We couldn't discuss stressful or even non-stressful events without it uh, devolving into a fight. Um, we appeared to have it together on the outside but because um, we didn't have obvious visible sin. But the greatest sin was that our marriage was no longer God-honoring. So I had a hard time getting through this first service and I think I realized that it was because of that song we just sang. It's, it's so true that in marriage that there's sometimes every hour that you must call on God. Um, and when you stop doing that hour by hour, you will never make it through a day when you live with someone else. So um, just know that. <laughs> that was just a real um, eye-opener. So for me, re-engage was um, a real eye-opener on how I held my kids and raising my kids to such godly standards but my marriage was not a reflection of Christ-likeness. The problems in our marriage were due to sin. Um, and it brought distance not only between Joe and I, but what I didn't realize was that it brought distance between me and my walk with God. Um, through Reengage, I learned that marital sin is very multifaceted, somewhat like a disco ball. You address one side of it till it rotates and re- reveals to you another facet. Every challenge would bring insecurities in me and would um, bring distress in our marriage. Um, It's only through leaning into God and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit that I could forgive Joe enough to begin healing myself. I'm called by God to forgive every facet that is revealed to me, just as Christ offered us redemption through the death um, on the cross. Only through renewed personal relationship, my personal relationship and my walk with God, was I able to show Joe grace um, and patience in our marriage. For me, re-engage has uh, helped our marriage tremendously. Uh, first, it brought us back into community and accountability, which was something that we had been lacking um, in our marriage a lot. Um, second, it centered around the work of Christ and how he gave me forgiveness with no strings attached and how I should respond to that gift by offering forgiveness to others who I'm in relationship who have potentially hurt me. Um, third, it gave me the tools and gave us the tools to uh, work through our conflict in our marriage, and uh, it gave us some communication techniques. It's a, it's a huge time commitment. Um, it's 18 weeks, one night a week, and just saying that sounds pretty insurmountable, uh, looking at our calendar and how it, it's constantly filled up. I know it sounds cliche, but it's true that the best thing we can do for our kids' development is to take care of our marriage and our marriage is more important than the things that fill up our calendar like our social lives and our sports schedules and music schedules and all that there's no greater victory um, for satan than to see a strong christian marriage struggle not reflect christ and not uh and not endure we're not alone in our struggles um, we found that through Reengage. And through Reengage, we now receive redemption in our marriage, but only through his redemption um, in our personal walks with him. So, Great. thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Michelle. Um, earlier I said that oneness is one of the great aspects of who God is. 
And it's also one of the great truths that God placed in the design of how he set creation in motion, and especially in marriage. And that's what I want to look at today is the first marriage. So we're going to spend some time in Genesis. As you turn there, I want to share with you a couple thoughts. One, um, you may be saying, hey, I'm single, and we're going to talk about marriage. I get it. I was single for 37 years, okay? Probably reasons for that, but... Let me say this, if you're single today and you don't want to get married, it's beautiful. Live a life that Paul has said and called people to, an undistracted and fully devoted life to God. And learn something today. Don't write it off because the design reveals the designer and marriage is part of God's design. And so learn something today about the body of Christ. Learn something today about who God is. If you are single and you do want to get married, let me tell you what 37 years taught me, and that is this. The key that I found was to learn true contentment and yet have hopefulness. And in the meantime, ask God to shape you into such an incredible gift that one day the person that you marry will be called blessed because of how God has transformed you personally. If you are married, I want to say this, let's not settle for where we are right now. Oneness is a ever-moving target. We have to strive for it, but oneness ultimately honors God and it ultimately blesses us and others in a very huge way. I want to share with you some of my highlights or lowlights of my search for oneness. It starts in fourth grade, most of us starts in fourth grade, you know. And I had a crush on this uh, cheerleader in my grade. And one afternoon, I had mustered up the courage to come up probably after months and months and months. And I walked up to her. She was out of a relationship, I think. And I walked up to her locker after school. And it was right out of that picture book. She closes the locker, and I'm standing there. And I say, will you go with me? Because that was the vernacular, you know, that's, that's the way you did it. And she says, yes. And I don't say great or anything, I just walk off. Because <laughs> I had a bus to catch. And so I go off and, you know, course of the next two weeks, I, don't, I think we said it at lunch once, I don't think we talked on the phone. And sure enough, this thing started great, right? Two weeks later, her girlfriend walks up with a note after school, hands it to me. And I want to break up. That was my first foray into oneness. Crash and burn. Doesn't get much better than that. Don't have much to say through junior high and high school. No success stories. Great low light in, in a chemistry class my freshman year of college. I'm in Heldenfelds over here on A&M. Freshman weed out course. Sitting in the back row. This is a little cute girl who's sitting several rows in front of me. I notice her first day. Weeks go by, weeks go by. I muster up the courage. I'm going to go ask this girl to lunch. So I walk up to her after class because we're running out of time. And I sit next to her and I say, hey, my name's Zach. Can I take you out to lunch? You know what she says to me? I have a boyfriend. Now, any person in their right mind says, that's great, I hope you have a wonderful life together, something like that. But no, am I in my right mind? No. You know what I say? He can come too. <laughs> I just want to get to know you. And I go through the next three minutes trying to convince her why this is going to work out. It's probably a reason why I was single for 37 years, right? In my early 20s, I desperately wanted to be married. I desperately wanted to be in a relationship. I thought I'd be married by 24. But in my early 20s, um, I remember as I'm walking with the Lord and striving to seek the Lord, um, I went, I was walking on some land, uh, praying to God. I love to walk and pray. And so I was praying and I was pouring out my heart before the Lord. And I said, Lord, when are you going to give me the gift of a wife? 
And this is one of the few moments in my life I can think of two times where I feel like God spoke directly to me, not in an audible voice, but in the recesses of my, recesses of my mind, and spoke so clearly because my, the course of my thinking was changed so drastically. I went, that had to be of the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Zach, it's not when you get the gift of a wife, it's when you get to be a gift to a wife. Work on that. And that's what I did. I said, I'm going to run, run after Jesus so hard and run after him and the Lord, and let the Lord transform my life and be humble clay before a great God. And I pray that I would be a gift. Now, it took a long time to get me there. I've joked about that. In my 30s, my early 30s, I had another milestone, a highlight for me. Most of my friends were married. I was always the odd man out. I was always the third seat at the table, the fifth seat at the table, or the seventh seat at the table with the empty seat next to me. Because all my friends were married. They were all couples. That's where I ran. And at that time, I learned what it meant to be content. As Paul says, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. And I realized, I found what it means. And I got to a place where I could honestly say before the Lord, if I never get married, that's fine. That's great. I will live my life for you, Lord. And so I adopted a habit. I still wanted to be married, but I was okay with being single. And so I said, you know what? Lord, I'm going to keep my eyes focused on you, but have very active peripheral vision. (laughs) And that's what I did. I kept my eyes on the lookout, but I focused on the Lord. And over the years I met and I dated some very wonderful women. And through some of those few relationships, they were few. um, I experienced some great things, but I also experienced some deep hurt and I caused some deep hurt. Relationships are difficult. Dating is hard and moving towards oneness is hard. Finally came to when um, in 2009 I moved to Dallas. I got set up on a blind date with my wife my first week there, Catherine. And within three months, so that was in September, in three months I knew that I wanted to marry her. Knew it. Convinced of it. Took her another four months. I was a harder sell than she was, but four months later she agreed. We picked out a place to get married in before we even got engaged. Wonderful summer that summer. And at 37 and 29, me being 37, her 29, we got married on June 19th, seven years next week. And we became one that day, right? One in God's eyes. It was simple then after that, always on the same page, same thought processes, same decisions. It was easy. Why are you laughing? Because you know that's not true. It's hard. It's hard for, to achieve oneness. I, I laugh. I think about when we trust Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, um, and God, has, who's paid for the penalty of our sin, paid for all of our sins, he says, in that moment of faith, you are declared righteous. And then there's this process. That's called justification. And there's this process called sanctification where we have to now put into practice that righteousness that's been declared because though we've been declared righteousness by God's grace, we don't necessarily experience that righteousness in our life. We still sin and we still struggle. And that life of walking with Jesus is, is humbling ourselves and letting God mold us into the righteousness he declares to be. And that's how oneness is. We become one on the day we say, I do. But then it's a work in progress and it's hard to do. It's a struggle we have to strive for. And for Catherine and I, we found we went through premarital. Okay, and we got all our expectations aligned and we were right here. And then we stepped into marriage and we went, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we realized, you know, you change, people change, your views change. We ate at the same restaurants and then our diet changed. Now we want to be more healthy, but I wasn't ready to be more healthy. We had kids. We thought we knew what we were going to be like with, as parents. And then we started reading books and then views change and we're, we're struggling and fighting to get back to oneness because you can, in some moments it's fleeting. We're there and then we were moving all over the place again. Things come into our life. My dad died. We inherited a farm. All of these things come in. We've had intimacy issues, communication issues. We've downright been mean to one another. We have different expectations on diet, family traditions, special occasions, parenting. Last fall, I've shared this before, we went to counseling because our differences, we, we couldn't, we needed outside help. We couldn't get back to one. 
It was constant headbutting. And we got help. And we got back to oneness. And the other night, we got another big fight. And my wife said, we need to go back to counseling. No, not yet, not yet. Let's see if we can work this through. We learned something there. Let's see if we can get back to oneness. Oneness is hard. And the goal of marriage is to get to oneness for a very powerful reason, a very powerful purpose. But let me say this. Oneness is not sameness, okay? Oneness is moving as different but together. As Brad said to me before the service started, he said it's the pronouns we, us, our, not me, mine, and my. So as we look, I want to look at, as we think about lessons from Old Testament leaders, let's go to the first marriage. Look at Genesis with me. And let me, let me just set this up really quick because we're going to see God's intent and purpose for marriage, what he was trying to do with marriage in the first place. And remember this about Genesis. Genesis was written by Moses, most likely written by Moses, um, well, obviously written by Moses as, he's, as he is, after he has brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Okay, And what he's trying to do through the book is he is trying to orient the nation of Israel to who this God is that just delivered them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. So he's going to highlight a few things. He's going to highlight this is who God is. He's the creator, the designer. He is holy. He is, his intentions are right and good. This is how God has set things up. He's also going to help the nation of Israel realize who they are. That's why he's going to talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's going to talk about the beginnings and then he's going to talk about them as a nation and where they began and who they are in relation to them through the promise of the patriarchs. He's going to spend the last half of the book talking about Joseph. Why Joseph? Why Joseph? To help them understand how they ended up in in Egypt to begin with, in bondage. So he is setting them up. When we look at chapter 1 and chapter 2, we're going to see a wide angle view of creation and a narrow angle view, a zoomed in view of, of the creation of man. God is intentionally going to establish marriage between a man and woman to fulfill his purposes, and that's what I want to see you today. So let's look at this wide-angle view starting in Genesis chapter 126, what God is doing with marriage. Now let me say this. I am not going to try to unpack everything. I'm going to highlight some words and concepts, and we're going to move on. But here's where I want to start. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We are bearers of God's image and likeness in this world. Now, a lot could be said. Books are written. Sermon series are written trying to explain what that means, the image of God. People talk about we're creative like God. We're moral like God. We're spiritual, relational. I just want to hit this one main idea, and that's this. We are a unique revelation of the person of God. No other part of creation is said to bear his image as humans do. So that is a unique aspect of man's creation. But look at what it says next. He says, let them rule over. And he goes on to say, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now we know God is the ruler of all. He's the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings. And he's over all things. So this isn't him abdicating rule to us, but this is delegated authority that he gives us to rule on his behalf over his creation. And then he says something very interesting here, and I want you to see this. God created man. He repeats this a little bit. God created man in his own image, but he's going to expand it. In the image of God, he created him. What? Male and female he created them. You see, together we reflect his image fully. Now, yes, every one of us reflects the image of God. That is true, and that is powerful, and there is nothing taken away from that. But there is a unique reflection of God's nature through both male and female, through female and male. It's unity in plurality, because the essence of marriage is in the one is oneness. But the essence of God is also He is one God. Deuteronomy tells us. Unity in plurality. And by making male and female, we see 
unity in plurality. We see this oneness and God is establishing in marriage. Look at the next verse with me. It says in 28, God blessed them. Now I read this and I usually just run right over that to other deeper things. And I, I forget, this is a huge part of this, okay? God blessed them. They can't do this on their own. They're in need of God's grace, of God's love, of God's provision, day after day after day, minute by minute. God is saying, I am in this with you. And that's true in life and that's true in marriage. We have to have God's grace and provision daily. But what does he say to do? God says to them, here's what I want you to do. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. And here's what I I want to point out to you. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Why? That you might fill the earth. Subdue it. Why? That you might rule over it. This is what God is trying to say he wants them to do. I want you to fill the earth and rule over it. And there are means to get there. Now, he is going to go on and say, I've given you all the plants. I've given you all these things that you need. And then he says this. He says, God saw that all that he had made and behold, it was very good. What God had set up, how he had set it up and the purpose for which he set it up is very good. What is God setting man up to do? I want to sum it up this way. God is using man and using us to establish his image and his authority in all the earth. Let me say it again. Establish his image all over the earth and his authority all over the earth. And that theme, that that plan gives some insight into some parts of Genesis. What about the Noahic flood? Why did God stop that? Why did God stop humanity from... Were they filling the earth? Yes, but what were they filling it with? Corruption, evil, hearts that were only evil continually. We got to wash that clean. What about the Tower of Babel that follows? What were they supposed to do? Fill the earth. What did they do? Let's stay in one place. There's other parts to these stories, but you see those themes? He wants to take his image and his authority through mankind all over the globe, all over the, his creation. Evidence, it's one of the reasons we hold to a millennial kingdom where Jesus will return and he will set up a thousand year reign on this earth and he will fulfill what he intended man to do from the beginning as the true God man. He, will, he took on humanity to die for our place, but he also took on humanity because he will fulfill what man was made to do. And that's to take his image and his rightful authority all over this earth. And that will be seen realized in the millennial kingdom. So this idea that he's setting up in Genesis flows through the whole scripture. Now let me jump into this zoomed in view in chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up in 18, but it's the sixth day. He's zooming in on it, and he's saying, look, I've already created this garden. I've taken man. I've formed him from the dust of the ground, and I've placed him there. And then he makes this statement. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And let's not look at that and just say, well, he was lonely. That's a very human-centric way of thinking about it. It wasn't about his loneliness. It was about this. Adam could not carry out God's purpose alone to establish his image and authority in all the earth. He couldn't do it. How do you fill the earth as one man? You can't. It takes people, plural, to make people. Procreation couldn't happen with just Adam. Authority. He needed a partner to rule with. That's how God wanted it. But this is the bigger one, is his image that I want you to see right now. Is God alone? No. Is he one? Yes. Is he alone? No, because he's Trinity. One nature, one essence, yet three persons. Let me ask you something about the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Does God the Son just tolerate God the Father? Does God the Father just look at the Son and go, I'm just going to tolerate you? Yeah, we're in this together. Is there animosity within the Trinity? No. 
There is an incredible relationship of love and honor in the Trinity. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Father honors the Son, will glorify the Son, give Him a name above all names. The Son honors the Father. The the Spirit honors the Son and the Father. There is this unbelievable, incredible relationship of oneness, of unity with plurality. And God sets marriage up to mimic this incredible relationship. We, as married, fulfill God's purpose when we experience in our marriage the greatest joy, love, and honor for one another. That is bearing God's image well. That's why God set up oneness in marriage, is to reflect who he is in the very essence of who he is. Now, it's similar to the purpose of the church. I get it, not all of us are married. But that's the church too. What did Jesus, what did Paul say about the, about the church? That we might be one. Unity, unity, unity. Love one another, love one another. Honor one another. All of these one another passages. It's about plurality coming to unity. Diversity under the banner of Christ becoming one. Paul said, be one spirit, one mind. One faith, one Lord. That's the theme you see. And he set that up in the church and he set that up in marriage. Now he's going to say this, I will make him a helper. And remember, he takes different animals and he forms them from the dust of the ground. He says, Adam names them, but none of them are found suitable for him. And I want to hit this idea, this helper, this idea is a companion, a complement, a counterpart. It's a term though, and hear me on this, it's a term used much more of God in scripture than it is of woman. It is not a subordinate term. It's an elevated term. And we miss it so much when we hear the word helper. And we think it's like, oh, you're, you're subordinate to the man. No. God is our azer, our helper. That's a term of honor, a term of power. It basically means this. It's one who does for us what we cannot do ourselves or on our own. Adam could not achieve God's purposes on his own. And so God makes a counterpart, a companion, a compliment that comes in and says, together you can achieve the purposes I have for you. And then he says this in 22. Remember, he takes the rib from Adam And he says, the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from, taken from, big part. He took out of man and formed. So for Eve, she is like him in the right way. They're made of the same stuff, but they are not, she is not like him in the right way too, that they are different, that they complement one another, that they come together just like the Father and the Son and the Spirit are distinct and yet Same nature, but oneness. That's the picture God is trying to accomplish in our marriage. It points to who he is at his essence. And that's the pattern God sets. That's the design that he establishes. And that's why he says that this is why a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his flesh, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The joining of what is meant to be together taken from flesh. And that's why Adam says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. There is unity in plurality. So marriage is meant to be this incredible relationship that displays the incredibleness of God. And marriage is the vehicle for God's plan to fill the earth and to establish his image and authority over the earth. Be fruitful, fill have offspring and seed. But here is the problem. We start in Genesis 2. We see that man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. Before their temptation, this is what they were like. Not thinking about themselves, not defensive. There's contentment, there's oneness, there's a we in their mentality. And the problem steps in. Satan comes in, tempts them 
to disobey God, to go their own way, not to follow God's way, but to find their own way. And after their disobedience, here's what we see. It's not naked and ashamed, but it's broken and blame. Now their focus is on their self. Now they're defensive with one another. Now there's a rift in the relationship. It's from me to we. What was one is now fractured. That's the state where we live. It is a fight to live a life for God. It is a fight to live a God-honoring marriage out. Not only because of the brokenness inside of us and the brokenness between us, but all the brokenness in the world that filters its way in. It's hard to get to oneness. So if we're married, if I'm married, why should I strive for oneness? You know, we hear phrases like this. Marriage is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. We hear phrases like that. I want to say that's a well-intentioned phrase. But that's not the full picture. Marriage is also not to make you unhappy. There's some people who would say, I don't know about that. That's not God's highest and best for you is that you are unhappy in your marriage. No, remember this. God has an incredible relationship within the Trinity and he designed marriage to reflect an incredible relationship that reflects his incredible relationship. And you know what? When you have an incredible relationship with your spouse, that's pretty incredible. It's awesome. A smarter person than me once said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I would add this, God is most glorified in our marriages when we have incredible marriages. Someone will say and stop and say, wait, Zach, I want that, but my spouse doesn't. And I want you to acknowledge that's a really hard place to be. But here's what I would challenge you with. Don't give up. I had a friend who was uh, a youth minister at the time and he was walking and working with some of the volunteer leaders and one of his volunteer leaders came to him and said you know ministering to these kids are hard and that kid's really hard-hearted and so I don't think God could ever save that kid I'm going to walk I'm not going to put any more time to that kid and my friend looked at that leader and said you give up on a kid you give up on God if God can bring life out of death if God can heal the broken and give sight to the blind, if God can take a man named Saul and grab a hold of his life and see him become Paul, who would then challenge all of us to live a life of godliness, then God can turn a person around if he so chooses. And so I would say to you, run after God. It's not about building a case against someone. It's not about trying to get out. It's not about trying to take control of a situation. You run after God with all of your being and you trust him with the results. That is what you do. Does God want us to have an abundant life? Yes. But it's on his terms, not on ours. Remember that if God created life, if he designed life, he knows how to get the most out of life. But we have to do it his way, not our way. That was Adam and Eve's great mistake. That was their crucial, life-altering, world history-changing mistake was they didn't follow God's way. They followed their own way. And there are many of us in our marriages today who don't want to follow God's way. We don't want humility. We don't want to work on me. We want to work on you. We want you to be different. God says it starts with each one of us. And it starts with us walking with the Lord. Because he wants us to experience incredible life. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he knew what he was talking about. And he meant it. If we could all believe that. And then get on his program, not our own. So if I'm married, why should I strive for oneness? Let me give you a quick three reasons. It honors God, and that's what we were designed to do. Marriage was set up to display his image in a very unique way. And I want to tell you, when you live out of God's design, there is great joy now and there is great reward in the future. We see that consistently in scripture. For those who live in faithfulness and live by faith, there is a reward that comes, but there is a reward now. And so first and foremost, live out God's design for marriage. 
Strive for oneness. Number two, because we have so much to gain personally. Can you imagine God says to a married couple, I want you to experience incredible marriage. I want you to have an abundant and full, rich life. And we look back at him and goes, no, mediocrity is fine. Could you imagine someone who is paralyzed and God says, I can heal you and let you walk? No, I don't want that. Someone who is blind, God says, I can give you sight. No, I don't want that. You'd call that person a fool. If your marriage is not incredible, I get it. My marriage is not incredible right now. But we strive for it. We move toward it. We move towards oneness. And along the way, we experience those incredible moments of what God designed marriage to be on this side of heaven in a broken world. Number three, it's because we bless others so much when we live in oneness as God designed us. We are called to help people find and follow Jesus. And great marriages are like big blinking signs that go boop, 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 boop. God, God, God is real. God is alive. See God's image in the world. So that's how he set up marriage to be, to bear his image in the world. And for those of us who have kids, let me say this. It sets them up in a broken world. We all have enough baggage that we bring from our families that we come in. But let me say this. You want to bless your kids? You want them to to know life in the full? Don't focus on them as much. Turn some of the focus towards your spouse and say, let's work on this. Parents easily put all their focus on their kids. And if they would focus on their spouse, the benefits bless them and it blesses the kids in huge ways that you can't imagine. Divorce so deeply hurts kids. It's so difficult. Don't let yourself get there. If you have, there is redemption There's reconciliation. God can overcome those as you humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, use me again. If our marriages are struggling and we are letting them fall apart, we are fools. If we are just okay and the status quo in our marriages is what we're longing for, then we are fools. If we are chasing after lesser things when greater things are set before us, we are fools. Pray, God, that we don't walk away out of here today and continue to be fools. I want to leave you with a challenge. Whether you are single or married, when you're at home tonight and you're brushing your teeth and you look at yourself in the mirror, now, real quick hint, brushing your teeth helps oneness, people. Okay, just, <laughs> dental hygiene is a good thing. Okay? When you look in your mirror, and you look at that person staring back at you, I want you to look deep into their eyes, and I want you to ask these three questions. Single or married, what am I prioritizing in my life? What is stealing away from what God wants for me, and what do I need to do about it today? Not tomorrow. Well, maybe tomorrow since you're going to sleep. In the morning, first thing. What do you need to do? God wants so much more for us. And we settle for so much less in the world we live in. And we just say, well, the world is broken. That's just life. I want to say, don't think like that. Okay? Here's what I want to do. I want to invite Brad to come up. Brad's going to bring up uh, Matt and Maria Upton. Um, And as they share, Matt, Matt and Maria are a couple who said, we're not going to settle for the status quo. We want to strive yet more in our marriage. And then Brad's going to share with us um, just some opportunities that we have to see marriages strengthen here at Great. Thank you, Zach. As your family and care pastor, it's my privilege to talk about some next step opportunities we may have, or we do have, for us to grow in our marriages. And uh, real life stories are awesome because they reveal the power of God to transform us. And so we have Matt and Maria 
here. We've heard from the Fixes, and they have courageously agreed for me to interview them a little bit. And so uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves. How long have you been married? And tell us about your kids. Sure. We've been married for 20 years come September, um, and we have three boys. Maxwell is 14, Miller is 10, and McLean is almost 8. So yeah, they're stand up. Yeah, them stand that's up. them. So that's them. Three boys. So uh, you guys jumped in to re-engage. Uh, tell us, why, why did you decide to do that? Sure. Well, <clears throat> we saw a slide one Sunday at church, and um, we didn't talk to each other about it, but we both wrote down in our journal um, the word re-engage and just talked about it. And I, it's interesting because we thought we had a really good marriage, and we would have said that. We loved being with each other. We, we, we did fight. That's not to say we didn't fight, but we felt like we knew how to fight very well. Um, but one thing I would say is we just hadn't kind of tended to our marriage in a long time. Kids made life busy. We have a mother that we take care of that lives with us, and that made life busy. And a lot of times we just didn't look at one another. And so we thought, hey, this would be a great time to like actually look at each other and, and work on our marriage and be intentional. After 19 years, it, it probably needed some tending to it. All right. Well, I think we can all um, admit to that. We can all grow. And so um, what would you say happens, what, what exactly happens in Reengage when you guys uh, experience this? Because it, it's, it's not just necessarily a program, it's more of a discipleship ministry. What, what happens? So there's um, three main parts to Reengage. Um, this little book right here. Is something you get when you go through re-engage. And it has a few questions that you do every week at home that we call homework. And you are meant to do the homework on your own and then actually talk and engage with your spouse um, throughout the week on the homework. And then you come to the Tuesday night time and we will have what we call an open session where everybody gathers together. Um, and just we either hear a testimony kind of like the fixes did or maybe it watch a video or some kind of funny little skit that maybe put up there on the video. And then you go to a closed group where you meet with four to six couples that intentionally commit to coming for all 18 weeks and that they're going to do the homework and they're going to commit to being vulnerable in that group knowing that things don't leave the group. It's not shared with anybody else. You just... Commit to those people to intentionally work and grow your marriage. Awesome. So um, I skipped over this. I got them out of order. Sorry about that. Uh, We ask you to fill out a little survey at the beginning and at the end to rate your marriage. Uh, One being uh, not so hot, ten, you're perfect. So how did you guys do? What did you rate your marriage before and then after you took re-engage? So before we started, I rated our marriage at a 7, and at the end of the session, I rated it at an 8. And in true typical male fashion, I rated our marriage higher. I said we were at an 8, and then I would say at the end of re-engage, it was probably an 8 or a 9, and that doesn't sound like a lot of movement, but when you begin to go through re-engage, as Brad mentioned, it is a discipleship program, so it really does focus on you as an individual walking with the Lord and learning how to do that again, if that's something you've kind of lost track of or re-engaging in that way. So it isn't just this kind of re-engage. It's also um, a vertical re-engagement with the Lord. And so that's really helpful when you think about it like that. And so my definition of what makes a good marriage expanded and grew throughout going through that. So still some definite movement in our marriage. Okay. So if somebody's, we're all busy people, what would you say to somebody that goes, man, we just, we just don't have time. we got too much going on. Our kids have too much stuff going on. What would you say? Yeah. I, I mean, the thing that we've said to a lot of people already is you really don't have time not to. And the fix is alluded to that as well. Um, our kids are going to watch and model the lives that we live. Um, and, and we're, we're fortunate. We come from families that both of our marriage, both of our parents, my parents are still alive and married. Her parents were married until her dad passed away. Um, and we're very fortunate in that regard. But if we don't model strong marriages and strong relationships with the Lord, then our kids are already at a disadvantage. And none of us want our kids to be disadvantaged. And I don't want us to be disadvantaged. It's what Zach talked about. I don't want mediocrity in my life. And that's not how I want to live my life. And it's not the kind of marriage I want. And I would also add to that that 
One of the things I learned from going through reengage again, I think we had a good marriage, and anybody that we spoke with, we would have said that, but I found the joy. I remembered how much fun that I had with Matt. I remembered what it was like just to look at him and to enjoy every aspect of him and not always be looking at the kids or what do we need to get done next or, oh, the doctor appointment for my mom. We just really re-engaged with one another and found, gosh, we really love spending time with one another and we have so much fun together. So re-engage. You guys experienced that. Let's give the Uptons a hand. Thank you. Um, so we believe in, you've been hearing us talk about every knee, right? It's really important. Everyone bowing before Jesus Christ and experiencing what he wants and serving him. Every neighbor, reaching out to every neighbor, every nation. That's not going to happen without every marriage being strong. And we realize that uh, there's a uh, whole spectrum in, in where you may be or if you're single, where you're headed someday. But, you know, we mentioned the rating thing. As you come in to re-engage, you're asked to rate yourself between one, which is not doing so hot. Uh, and we've had people say zero. We're dead. I mean, that's just the reality. All the way up to 10. And really, if we're perfect, we're in heaven and we've died also. But, uh, we, you know, because there's no perfect marriages, right? So we're somewhere in the middle. But hopefully, we're moving, we're seeing movement, and we're seeing growth. And so that's why this summer in all three campuses at Grace, we're emphasizing marriage and we're emphasizing the opportunities that you have to grow in your marriage. My wife and I, we've been married 30 years, and we're still growing. And that's one of the reasons we enjoy serving in marriage ministries. We've served in the the merge uh, deal. Let me just hit that real quickly. Merge is for seriously dating or engaged couples. And so if you're, uh, that will be starting this fall. And if you're in that boat, we'd love to have you. We had about 60 couples go through MERS this uh, last spring, and people from all over the community. And that's one of the really cool things about, as you think about every neighbor, is that marriage covers everyone. I mean, it covers all different backgrounds, all different races, all different socioeconomic groups. We can all grow in marriage, and we find that that brings people from the community, unchurched people, people from different churches. And so merge, check into that. We'd love to have you. Or if you'd like to serve in that ministry, we need uh, healthy mentor, mentor couples to serve. Foundation groups, or if you're newly married, and this summer we have lots of folks coming uh, here, just moving here, who've recently got married. This is a um, home group that meets for 15 months in your home, and that's an awesome experience to lay that really solid foundation for your marriage. And then re-engage. You've heard um, uh, two couples talk about re-engage, and this starts August 7th, and that's one reason we wanted to highlight our marriage ministry early in the summer, because August 7th is less than two months away. And Randy and Abigail McDougal, if you'd stand up here, they uh, are leaders in our uh, re-engage ministry, and they'll be out there at the table as we exit. You can talk to people about all three of these ministries, but talk to Randy and Abigail. The Uptons will be here. You can talk about the fixes, ask more questions, and they'll tell you about what's involved. And the awesome thing, as we've started these ministries, church, I'm excited to report to you between Merge, Foundation Groups, and Reengage. you realize we had 400 people involved in these ministries this last year. So we're seeing God move powerfully in marriages, in, uh, in creating healthy marriages that impact homes, that impact this community. My wife and I, we're still learning, we're still growing, and I'm going to mention a couple things. Right now we're reading this book called Cherish, which just reminds us of how important it is that we cherish each other and how practically we can do that. Uh, We've read through Love and Respect. I'm going to put these resources at the end of uh, the slides, so if you want to look at this online. Love and Respect uh, is a great book as well. There's several other things that you can do uh, if you want to grow in your marriage. Uh, Family Life has a Weekend to Remember conference, and it's really, really awesome. So you can uh, Google Family Life and attend a weekend conference. My wife and I, uh, with Family Life, there's a devotional called Moments Together for Couples, and we like to do that in the morning. just takes about five minutes, and then we pray for each other. We have home groups. We encourage you to jump into a home group and develop community and experience 
others that will love and care for you. And several of those are going through uh, marriage and family topics as well. Just to keep learning, to keep growing, to realize that we can always take another step. Uh, also, Zach mentioned counseling, and let me know if you're, you, if you're at a place where you go, you know, we could really use some help. My wife and I have been through counseling a couple of times. It's been very helpful. There's no shame in that, no stigma, and we can refer you to some good Christian counselors that will really help you. So as we wrap up here, I mean, you're hearing a lot of information, and I, trust me, Satan does not want you to take a next step. He wants you just to go, we're good, just kind of stay where we are. Be apathetic, uh, and you know if that happens, that's kind of the behind the scenes assault. Sometimes Satan can neutralize this just as effective as a frontal assault. So as Zach challenged you, I too want to challenge you to what is your next step? What does he want you to do in terms of where you are? Maybe it's to move closer to Jesus. We all need to do that and to be intentional in pursuing him. Or maybe trust him. Today's the day you accept his free gift of salvation. Maybe it's taking a step and just going on the website here. Check out these different marriage ministries and find one that might be a good fit for you. Uh, You can email Dean Helsher um, or you can go on our website and... um, you can connect. Uh, you'll, as you leave you, uh, the, t- the table on the right, you can find these little bookmarks that uh, will give you an overview of all this and how you can get plugged in. But again, re-engage starts August 7th. We have these to hand out. And you may be going, I don't need this, but I know somebody who does. Well, grab one of these and give it to them. And we'd love to have them join us in re-engage. Thank you for being here. Let me wrap us up in prayer. We do need you, how much we um, uh, struggle in, in this fallen world. We need you every day. And for those of us who don't think we need you, uh, just remind us that uh, that's pride. And your word tells us that you oppose the pride, but you give grace to the humble. Let us humble ourselves and acknowledge our need to grow in dependence upon you, in a relationship with you, to, to uh, walk with you each and every day. And... Um, if we're single, to pray for those who are married and, and to um, look forward to, if it is your will for us to be married, for the person you're going to complete us with. And if we are married, Lord, let us just acknowledge if we've fallen into um, apathy or just passivity. Let us be courageous and step forward and move towards you and move towards um, being intentional in growing our marriage so that you can be glorified. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming. See you next week.